Hey everyone, this is Josh, and welcome to Life on Side B. Today, our very own Henry will be talking with Ray Lowe about forgiveness. Last week, we spoke with Bridget about victimization and criticism. So the question we have now is what do we do when we've been wronged? Well, let's say I borrow my friend's laptop. I drop it or break it somehow. What we tend to miss out on, I, I broke something that belongs to my friend. And so no matter what my friend feels inside or no matter how I feel inside, there's a cost and someone's gonna have to pay it to either fix the laptop or buy a new one. So my friend can choose to either force me to pay the cost or he can bear the cost himself. And I think when we reframe it like that, that's what a more holistic view of forgiveness looks like. No matter if it's about forgiving individuals, institutions, and even ourselves, forgiveness is tough and y'all better be ready for what you're about to hear. This is Henry Abuta, one of the co-hosts for Life of Side B Season 2. I am here with our friend Ray Lowe to talk about forgiveness um, on this episode. So, Ray, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you kind of got roped into this? Hey, how's it going? Uh, my name is Ray, and I'm a pastor living out in New York City uh, and serving in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Yeah, I uh, have been friends with Josh and Henry for a long time, and they've kind of uh, been able to hear and walk with me through some of my stories and some of the difficult parts of my journey as well, too. So I'm really grateful for the opportunity to just uh, be here with them, share, and be able to just have a conversation. Perfect. So Ray, let's just jump in. Um, I really jumped at this episode because it's such a nuanced conversation, and I saw that your name was attached to it. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. Like, Ray Lowe is someone like I enjoy learning from, hearing from, and I just wanted to get a chance to talk with you. I was like, nope, everyone, I'm sorry, I'm the one doing this episode. So, and <laughs> Becca also suggested I do this. I was like, Becca, are you saying I need to learn more about forgiveness? So she thinks you shade at me, one of our other co hosts. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to start by defining biblical forgiveness and then maybe worldly for secular forgiveness, for lack of a better term. Um, what does, as a pastor, I'll let you take the lead here. Um, what does biblical forgiveness or what does the Bible say about forgiveness um, and what does the world say about it? If you could just split those two real quick. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm sure throughout the conversation, we'll kind of add more and more to our mm -hmm. thoughts on forgiveness and, you know, what the Bible says about it and stuff like that. But yeah, when I uh, heard this question, I thought of uh, Ephesians 4.32, um, mm -hmm. forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And so I really uh, think that that's just so unique to the, uh, to the Christian faith too, because when we're told to forgive in the Bible, it doesn't really just come out of like a willpower or a good feeling. Uh, we do it because we ourselves have been forgiven by God. Mm. Um, and we haven't just been forgiven in a way that allows us to keep doing what we're doing too, right? It's not just God uh, says, all right, that's fine. Um, you know, uh, forget about it, right? That's it, right? <laughs> and then we can just mm. do whatever we want in, in response. I think it's actually uh, one that um, is actually very deep and one that's very powerful and one that also calls us into, a, into repentance too, into a changed mm. and restored life. And actually, by that measure, I think forgiveness actually becomes a very essential part of our own Christian journey. And mm. uh, when we enter into a relationship with God, we're saying, I accept your forgiveness. And consequently, I am therefore 
called to forgive others too. So mm. yeah. Come on, Pastor. That's okay. kind of, got a quick yeah. sermon in there already. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely feel like uh, when it comes to secular forgiveness, um, it, it it's missing a little bit of that. I'm not saying it's like uh, uh, it's wrong or it's uh, deficient in any way or anything like that. But I feel like, especially nowadays in culture, when we tell each other, other to forgive, it's because of a specific benefit to ourselves, right? Mm. Uh, forgiveness is more about letting go of that hurt and that anger internally. Um, and I think the Christian view of forgiveness definitely includes that. Um, but without this existence of this God who has forgiven us, I think forgiveness becomes more of a mental thing rather than a spiritual or a moral one, right? We're not obligated yeah. to forgive. We just mm-hmm. do it because it it makes us feel good, right? Or it's it's healthy, right? Um, mm-hmm. So it's not to say that secular forgiveness is all that different. I don't even think that they're in conflict, but I do think that the Christian view of forgiveness gives a much fuller and richer perspective on it. And it really comes from the fact that, you know, we have been forgiven and we have um, done wrong things, right? And and we've been forgiven for it. And that's why we now forgive others as well. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. That was a whole sermon. Um, now, <laughs> another, I guess I had a list of questions for you here. Um, so my second question was, what do you think are some common misconceptions about forgiveness? And for me, I posted something on Instagram last night asking people um, just some of their thoughts and whatnot. And a friend of mine said something really good. He said, why do people think forgiveness is equal to forgetting? Like once you forgive, things are supposed to go back to how they were. And I think sometimes people struggle with forgiveness because they feel or believe that, oh, if I forgive this person or this thing or this situation, then it means like, oh, it never happened or I don't have to think about it again or everything's going to go back to the way it was. And that can keep people from forgiving because it's the misconception is that they have to enter back into that situation or whatever. So what do you, I thought that was really good. Um, I don't know who sent that in, but yeah, it was one of the ones I thought was really good. Um, yeah. And so what do you think about that? Yeah, I think uh, uh, the biggest idea you hit it right on the head is that forgiveness is kind of empty, right? It overlooks the crime or wrongdoing. And of course mm-hmm. it overlooks the hurt that was done too. And I think, um, and I think that if forgiveness is just an empty word, then that might be true. Um, mm-hmm. If forgiveness is seen as just the act of letting go or trying to forget about what happened, then that might be true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if we reframe it in our minds, then forgiveness can actually be so much deeper than that. Um, and I like to use this illustration. Um, though over and over again, I've used this illustration, but like suppose I suppose I borrow my friend's. Uh, uh, something that belongs to my friend. I used to say car, but I feel like I'm living in New York City. And it's not as yeah. relevant to people. Uh, but let's say it's I borrow my friend's laptop, right? Mm-hmm. Or iPhone or laptop, right? And while yeah. using it, I, I drop it or break it somehow, right? Um, now, most people only focus on whether my friend chooses to be angry at me forever or mm-hmm. to let it go and still be my friend or just forget about it, right? And that's true. But what we tend to miss out on, which is just as important, if not more, is the fact that the laptop is still broken um, yes. and I, I broke something that belongs to my friend. And so no matter what my friend feels inside or no matter how I feel inside, there's a cost that has been incurred um, yes. to either fix the laptop or buy a new one. Um, mm-hmm. There's a cost and someone's going to have to pay it. Uh, so mm-hmm. my friend can choose to either force me to pay the cost or he can bear the cost himself. And I think when we reframe it like that, that's what a more holistic view of forgiveness looks like. Yeah. Because whenever somebody wrongs us, there's always a cost. 
You know, it's, it's, yes. it can be something tangible. It can be actually yes. something physical or something financial, mm-hmm. um, or it can just be the hurt and betrayal that we feel, you know? Yes. Um, so yeah. I feel like forgiveness isn't overlooking that cost, but rather it's about taking that cost upon ourselves and bearing yes. it for the other person. Yeah. That's so it's about great. choosing not that. to make that other person. Yeah. Yeah. It's about choosing not to make that other person feel that pain or that liability yes. too, but about choosing to take it upon ourselves, you know, and to just really yeah. end this cycle of hurt too. You know? I think that's great. I, I'm trying to think. Yeah. Anyways, my best friend, John, he shared with me, <laughs> he heard a sermon a couple of weeks ago and the pastor, similar to what you said, mm-hmm. the pastor was like, forgiveness. Let's say someone steals a hundred dollars from you, whatever. And they come back saying, Hey, sorry, I spent this. And the, they apologize and it's asked for your forgiveness and you forgive them. That's great. But the fact is there's still a hundred dollars missing. It's like the person who you forgive the person, you're still at a hundred dollars. And so it's like, yeah. oh, forgiveness is like willing to take that on. So yeah, I thought that was great. I was like, wait, if somebody mm-hmm. still had it off for me, I feel some type of way. I was like, oh, Jesus, is this what you're asking me to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, exactly. That's great. So in this episode, in terms of forgiveness, I'd like to talk about it from three different mm-hmm. aspects. Um, forgiving others, forgiving institutions and systems, and forgiving ourselves. When we've been wronged by someone, we are understandably hurt and angry. What has your experience been with this when you've been wronged in your first instincts or emotions? Yeah, I think uh, emotions are just such a very difficult thing to parse through and uh, kind of quantify as well. So, yeah, so for personally for me, I, I think I'm the type of person who doesn't necessarily get angry when I'm hurt, but I do get really sad about it. Right? I do get mm-hmm. like uh, really quiet about it and very meek and timid. Um, and I'm also Aww. not a very confrontational person. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I tend to internalize my thoughts, too. Um, and uh, actually, I was thinking about this and reflecting on this, and I was—I think that's why there's another aspect of forgiveness that's so important, um, mm-hmm. and that's declaring the forgiveness as well. And we see mm-hmm. that Jesus do that over and over again in the Bible. He doesn't just like take people aside and say like, "Hey, you know, we're good, right? <laughs> I forgive you." Mm-hmm. Uh, but he actually declares like in front of everybody, right? Like, "Your sins are forgiven," or uh, "I I do not condemn you," kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's so important because I was thinking about it now is. Like I could choose to just forgive others silently and to find a way to deal with my pain on my own, right? But when I speak mm-hmm. my hurt into existence or my anger or my sadness into existence, I'm actually acknowledging the cost that was incurred. Um, and when I declare my forgiveness, I'm acknowledging that I'm going to bear that cost as well. Um, so I think that's just a really powerful thing, right? Like when we declare that even out loud, right? Um, whether it's to somebody else or to ourselves, right? Um, so I, I think, yeah, declaring forgiveness is really uh powerful and and declaring forgiveness doesn't necessarily have to be to the person who hurt us as well uh because Mm -hmm. in in life the reality is that sometimes we never get the chance to actually speak to that person or Mm -hmm. uh, especially if we're not in contact with that person or even especially if it's not a healthy thing for us to be in contact with them Mm. either um so i acknowledge that yeah sometimes in life we just don't get that opportunity um so i think for declaring forgiveness it can also be towards like a trusted friend or a mentor yeah. who can walk with us in that process. So when we say to them, Hey, I'm going to forgive this person. It's always easy to bear the cost of something if we have somebody to bear it with us. Right. So mm-hmm. I think for myself, the most important thing for me is having close friends and a good community who know me fully and love me fully yes. because they can help me bear that cost, you know, and Oftentimes, my friends are the ones who get angry on my behalf, too, so that I don't have to. Um, yes. They get way angrier than I do about when I get hurt, you know? Ray, what did you, um, side note, what did you study in undergrad? 
I studied math. Um, so it was okay. kind of funny. I was, I went to enter NYU, didn't know what I wanted to do. I eventually studied math because I had the most AP credits from it um, in yeah. high school. And then kind of by the end of seminary, I wanted to, sorry, by the end of college, I wanted to go to seminary. And so I decided okay. I want to be a pastor. Okay, I was picking up very philosophy vibes for me. I was like, I wonder if that's what his bachelor's is. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because I remember first meeting you a couple years back at Revoice, um, mm. where you spoke about how a church had mistreat, mistreated you due to you being same-sex attracted or gay, whatever adjective you want to use here, um, descriptor. Um, even though you checked all the boxes that conservative Christians want us to check, you still went through a process that was honestly just from hearing about it, it was painful, so I can't imagine how it was on your end. And I was really encouraged by how you handled that and how God used you to speak to a room full of people who probably, some of them have been in that situation or will be in that situation. Mm. Um, could you share with our listeners a little bit about what that was like? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, I can even just start with saying that after I graduated from seminary, it was very hard to find a job as a pastor because a huge part of my testimony is uh, – is my experience with same-sex attraction um, mm-hmm. and really just uh, uh, being able to be honest about that was one thing. Uh, being able to be open about that was uh, w- was important for me because I didn't want a church to find out about it afterwards, you know, and kind of mm-hmm. feel like they were blindsided or uh, betrayed in that way. So yeah, uh, it was very important for me to be upfront about it. Um, and also because they kind of ask you what your testimony is on the first you know, question of your application. Mm-hmm. So um, I just tried to be as open and honest as possible. But um, as you can imagine, a lot of churches immediately said no once they heard um, about my experience. You know, even though I was I'm single, walking a celibate life, um, you know, a lot of churches for me saw me as a liability or just uh, somebody who would force them to, you know, confront something that they had been avoiding. Really, that's mm-hmm. that's that's what was happening. You know, so. Um, yeah, so it was just very difficult to find a job, and there's uh, so many churches that told me I was very ideal and a good candidate, but it was just this one thing I couldn't change about myself um, could disqualify me. So, mm-hmm. um, so that was hard in itself. Uh, and then I actually found a church, um, and as I shared at Re- at Revoice, uh, this was a church that kind of had a lot of communication issues already. Um, but yeah, kind of my testimony and kind of who I was wasn't really communicated to the rest of the congregation so i actually served there for a couple weeks um before uh one day uh actually we got a letter um and it was an anonymous letter um and uh it actually basically outed me to the congregation and without kind of any precedent or without any ability or space for me to share about myself right uh everybody suddenly had this very intimate piece of my story right which um, they could do with whatever they wanted, you know, and they could mm-hmm. make whatever assumptions they wanted and they could yeah, paint me whatever way they wanted in their minds, you know, and probably the worst part, which I did also share is that um, uh, the the letter, um, it had a return address, so it wasn't completely anonymous and we traced it <laughs> I forgot back. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, uh, it's it's really absurd when you think about it, you know, and like it's it just makes you, me laugh now thinking about it where I'm at right now because, you know, like even people can be so bad at things, but blackmail I didn't think was one of them. <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we actually traced it I back. I um, about that. To... I'm so sorry. I'm yeah, yeah. About that. They literally had the return right? address on the envelope. <laughs> yeah, they did, right? And it was it was also like a paper letter too, right? Like rather than an email too. So there's there's mm-hmm. stuff about that too, you know. Um, so yeah, the return address was actually traced back not to an individual but to an organization, and I think that is a relevant detail since we're talking about organizational as well. You know how mm-hmm. uh, actually literally what happened what or what must have happened was that a church uh stalked me and found me on social media and stuff like that and then decided to contact this other church the one that i was working at and so basically exposed me yeah so it's a lot of like kind of institutional hurt as well and yeah yeah and so, so yeah that's the, yeah um and so how did you because one of the things i put under that was holding organizations slash institutions accountable so how did you or did you not hold them accountable in that situation looking back yeah so um when i hold people accountable i think i want to hold them accountable in the right way so um there's degrees to it right and i'm not going to say i'm not saying that i'm always making the right decisions about those degrees or Mm -hmm. that i have or that i will even in the future right but you know, the holding out of organizations accountable can uh, be on a spectrum, right? It can be like, you don't say anything at all to, you know, like expose them on Facebook, tweet about them, mm-hmm. those kinds of things, right? Like, See, you know, okay, contact them. I'd be tempted to do, be petty. Okay. Uh, t- totally, too. Like, same here, <laughs> you know. Um, and, you know, we're, there's always people that are saying, like, you, you could sue that church and stuff like that, right? So, um, yeah, I think what I did ended up falling somewhere in the middle, um, wherein I, it, I was definitely not silent, right? I did my best to contact all the parents, all the pastors, right? And kind of just share my story, right? And say like, hey, this is my statement of faith. This is my testimony. And this is where I'm at. And this is who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, obviously that was not met. Um, and I was not heard, but uh, I did my best to, you know, this is a Korean church too, and I'm not Korean. So I was even translating all my statements and all my uh, all my letters and uh, um, all my speeches into Korean, right? Um, just so that it could be, something that they could hear. Um, so, but yeah, unfortunately, after a few weeks, right, um, I was let go. And uh, yeah, so, so the question there is like, how do we hold that accountable? Um, and I guess this is what I chose to do. You know, I so I didn't post about them. I didn't tweet or anything like that and expose their name, um, uh, the church's name or anything like that. But what I did do is because I was the youth pastor at that church, I did feel it was necessary for the for the kids to know, you know, like, hey, what what did happen? What really did happen? Because mm-hmm. I think that, you know, LGBT discrimination or even just stigma against people with same sex attraction is very real in churches, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't want us to continue growing up in a world or in a church where we aren't aware of that, you know. So mm-hmm. I knew that it was so easy for everything to everything to be hush hush and for people to just not talk about it or people to say like, oh, he just resigned on his own, right? And I, I'm sure mm-hmm. some people were prepared to say that, you know, but I thought it was very important to say like, hey, like, this is my story, this is who I am, and this is what uh, the church felt um, was the best thing to do, which was to let me mm-hmm. go. So I actually did contact the kids um, about it and I said, hey, like, this is why I'm leaving and I want you to hear it from myself um, mm-hmm. so that you don't hear it, you know, in a different way from somebody. So I think that's the way that I held that church accountable. And I, I think it's, it, it, you know, I, I think teenagers are very, very uh, uh, smart 
these days, right? And they're very knowledgeable mm-hmm. and they're able to make the decisions on their own, whether um, they feel like this is a church that they can continue going to or whether this is a healthy church, you know, environment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I think that's, that's yeah, how that's I chose great. to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and since, uh, I guess, leaving that church and finding a new church to work for, have mm-hmm. you felt that's been a healthier experience? And uh, um, yeah, what's been on the other side of that? Yeah, definitely. So I think, uh, especially in sharing the testimony with with Revoice, I think one of the things that maybe, uh, if not, if it doesn't feel like an encouragement, but at least a source of strength, I think, is the fact that I did keep applying, and eventually I did find a church, right, um, to to, to serve at. um, And it was a church that understood my story. It was a church that uh, understood my testimony. And it was a church that was willing to be open to the conversation as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's my um, voice of empowerment to the people who hear the story is that, um, you know, oftentimes uh, we are in environments and communities that will hurt us. And Jesus was a part of those all the time. He spoke to Pharisees Mm -hmm. all the time and he preached to Pharisees who would then end up executing him on a cross. So I Mm -hmm. think for us living this celibate lifestyle, living our best to honor God, and still dealing with all these kinds of stigmas and prejudices. Mm-hmm. I do believe that, you know, that uh, that God has a very, very unique um, thing that he's going to do through us. And I think that's okay. a very important thing to be able to encourage my brothers and sisters with. That, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that God has a very, very unique place for us in this world and in our conservative churches sometimes as well awesome to continue on the organizations and systems there is a thought i have about when people do things publicly or mistakes i think sometimes they need to ask for forgiveness in a public way um Mm -hmm. especially if they're entrusted to lead large groups of people or for large groups of people are putting their faith in them as organizations that are in places of leadership and I'll use an example, the Gospel Coalition. Um, I think they were once, uh, maybe not even get my thoughts about them, but um, I have seen them write articles about either something like Boy Erased, which I responded to, Bridget and I both did, um, mm-hmm. or I've seen them even just yesterday write an article about, and just like stuff that is just unbiblical. And mm-hmm. I constantly see people asking them to repent, to seek forgiveness to seek to make amends with those that have hurt those their words are hurting and there is a silence on their behalf like a willful ignorance sometimes of just remaining mm-hmm. silent and i know the bible says vengeance in mind this says the lord and so i know it's not our place to seek vengeance or retributions from the gospel coalition per se but where does an organization have to step up and admit that we were wrong or we did this and we need to do better? And at what point is it sinful for organization to not do that? Sure, yes. Yeah, I see a lot of things and yeah, I have, I mean, yeah. And it's like so many people have issues with it. I'm like, if I was them, I'd maybe Mm -hmm. want to pause and be like, are we doing something here instead of just burying their head in the sand and kind of pressing forward with, like, oh my gosh, the article they wrote about masculinity last year. Awful. Oh, yeah. You know, awful piece of oh, yeah. three people. <laughs> but yeah. And so, okay, yeah. yeah. So what are thoughts on holding those kind of organizations, institutions accountable? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
And Honestly, I'm forgiving yeah, them don't... even if they don't ask for it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's the that's the difficulty in it is that um, despite all the tweets, despite all the call outs and the tags and stuff like that, oftentimes it just doesn't it doesn't do anything, right? And it, mm-hmm. and, and the organizations continue posting and continue defending. And um, yeah, I think um, I think there's definitely um, yeah, I don't have all the answers here, but I think there's definitely a, a place for that. Uh, I think there's a place for when Jesus did call out Pharisees and the Pharisees continue to gnash their teeth at him or mm-hmm. charge at him or try to kill him, you know? Um, and I think especially Jesus using his position and his platform to do that. Um, and in uh, what I trust was the the uh, the most tactful, the wisest, and the most strategic way possible as well. You know, I trust that uh, Jesus was able to do that, you know? And I trust that there are people who do that. I trust that there are people who know Twitter better than I do. And I trust that there are people who know how to Facebook better than I do as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I definitely uh, believe that there are people who are able to do that. And then in addition to that, I think that there are often things to examine. And maybe that's where, um, as a pastor, I want to use uh, a little bit more uh, uh, thought about like how is this article also impacting the lives of local people too, you know, cause there's mm-hmm. online presence, right? There's online yeah. talk and discourse, right? But how mm-hmm. are pastors then using these articles in their sermons maybe, or in their mm-hmm. emails to the congregation or in their one-on-one interaction, right? And I think that's the part where um, it requires a little bit more intimacy and knowledge. And that's what the part that comes from deeper relationships. So for mm-hmm. example, if I see somebody like a, one of my Sunday school teachers or one of my youth advisors in my church, uh, sharing an article that I think is potentially harmful, then mm-hmm. it's up to me to say, "Hey, as um, a local leader, behalf, yeah, yeah, I, uh, as a local mm-hmm. leader, right? I don't, I don't think that this article is healthy, and it's up to me to speak to that teacher or that leader and say, "Hey, I don't think this is healthy for you to share." Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that, in many ways, right, that's something tangible that I know I have influence over and I have a platform mm-hmm. for. So even if I myself um, I uh, cannot take to Twitter. I, I don't have any following or anything like that to to make that kind of online change. I can still make that change at my local level and make sure that the people I interact with are not being impacted by this article. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the Gospel Coalition, we have a standing invitation for y'all to come on Side B, Life on Side B podcast <laughs> and talk with us anytime y'all want about anything. Door is open and we're here to receive y'all as friends, charitably and engaged. So, okay. Um, moving right on along, the second part I want to talk about, forgiving ourselves. What are some things that we need to forgive ourselves for? Why do you think we are often so hard on forgiving ourselves? And I just jotted down a couple of thoughts. Forgiving ourselves for things that we didn't know better about. Forgiving ourselves for things that were out of our control. Um, those are kind of two things I thought about because... We sometimes can be our own critic, our worst critics and like punish ourselves far more than if Christ already forgiven us, why are we so unwilling to forgive ourselves? And it's almost yeah. like we're trying to put ourselves on the cross in the place of Christ. It's like somebody already did that. So yes, accept it. And I think <laughs> I went through something um, a year and a half ago with a friendship of mine that um, very close friendship. And then it ended in ways that I did not expect for it to end. And mm-hmm. I carried and there was blame, you know, when there's a if two people are involved in a situation it means two people have parts down and so the other mm-hmm. person was not perfect i was not perfect and we handled it as gracefully as we could at the time but in the season after i realized i still hold on to 
anger and it wasn't even at the other person it was at myself and i was like man henry you messed up you're such a failure like of course you mess this up like you can't get this right you're always going to mess friendships up with this and i was really beating myself up for a long season which and that led me to being closed off and not wanting to meet new people because i didn't want to get hurt to put myself in that same situation again and i had to really step into a okay, Henry, you have to let go of the anger and resentment you have, not towards the other person, but towards yourself as well. Because if you don't, you won't be able to move on. And my friend Amanda, she sent a note in yesterday, um, forgiveness is so necessary for yourself as much as it's for the other person. And mm-hmm. it was just a cool reminder when she mentioned that last night and it kind of made me start thinking about that all over again. I was like, yeah, I have to walk through the season of forgiving myself. But um, why do you think that's so hard for us to forgive ourselves? Yeah, I think uh, uh, I was actually uh, uh, preaching a sermon about this uh, the other day. Um, Love that, and it was it was about the devil actually. Um, and the, the devil is like a very uncomfortable topic for us to talk about these days. And mm-hmm. I think even for evangelical Christians, we kind of focus more on the modern way of thinking about the world and evil, uh, but we don't think about more of a spiritual force of evil. And um, one of the things that I said that the devil does is um, well, two things, two main things that he does. One is that he tempts us. He tempts us to mm-hmm. do wrong or to hurt others and to uh, kind of essentially sin against God and mm-hmm. do our way right? and, and do what we want rather than what God wants. So in that way, he kind of get, gets us to have too high a view of ourselves, you know, to take the yeah. place of God, um, to be uh, to have no sense of guilt or shame. Right. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, he accuses us. Um, he actually makes us feel like we're nothing. He makes us feel ashamed. And he feels mm-hmm. makes us feel like you know we're nothing, right? And that 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 we're to blame and that we are condemned. And I think that's just uh, those are two important things to just remember, right? Um, in one way, uh, he causes us to have too high a view of ourselves, and in another way, he causes us to have too low a view of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, he causes us to um, forget that we are uh, fully sinners and fully mm-hmm. loved as well. And I think that's just so important because. Uh, you know, when, when there are things that we don't know better about, or we're things that we're out of our control, um, sometimes we feel guilt and, and sometimes mm-hmm. feeling guilt is, is, is very necessary. Uh, is the reality of things is that we do wrong things and we do need to acknowledge that and to, to be called out on that. Right. And, and for people mm-hmm. to explain to us what our guilt is. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so that's guilt. Um, but I think where the devil then creeps in is to say that, Hey, your guilt is not actually guilt. It's actually shame, right? Um, it's actually who you are, mm-hmm. right? You didn't do something wrong. You are something wrong, you know, and, mm. and, and you can't be forgiven and you can't be renewed or restored or redeemed. You know? And I think that's, that's the little voice in our head that leads to all this, uh, kind of anxiety, you know, and, and, and this, uh, this self-hatred, you know, um, uh, yeah, we, we have a lot of conversations about mental health these days and stuff like that, you know, and it's a very complex issue. We haven't even uh, pinpointed the source of it um, yet, but I think a huge part of it um, manifests itself in the form of not loving ourselves, not forgiving ourselves, you know, and mm. lying in that shame and, and, and being trapped by it. So, yeah, that's great. Um, another aspect of forgiveness is the process of making amends. Um, let's just talk a little bit about that. When we hurt others, we are told to seek forgiveness and be reconciled. For as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with one another. So scripture tells us. What do you think of the immense process? Um, is there a time you can recall that it was really hard to own a hurt and go ask someone for forgiveness? What did that teach you? 
Yeah, I think uh, being such a non-confrontational person, I'm I'm still growing in this as well. Um, But I think uh, for myself, I um, am learning more and more just how um, how person to person. I think conversation really, really makes all the difference. Um, Mm -hmm. To be able to express um, that hurt and that pain in a way that's uh, that shows that it's not just about the anger, it's not just about the hurt, it's not just about the Mm -hmm. emotion but it's about the relationship as well. Uh, it's the relationship that we have with that person. And whether it's me asking for forgiveness or me um, acknowledging the hurt to somebody else, I think it's just, it really makes me question, right? Like, do I actually care about the relationship between mm-hmm. myself and this person? Do I actually want to restore this relationship? Um, mm-hmm. And I think especially in this day and age, we have this tendency to just move on from, Mm-hmm. everything right we we move mm-hmm. on so quickly from you know i live in new york city and people move on from their jobs so quickly people move on from their friends so quickly and i just feel like you know um when i really really ask myself like as a child of god and especially if this person is a child of god um do i care about this relationship between myself mm-hmm. and them or am i willing to just to just forget about it and walk away from it you know and, and not care about it anymore so i really have to ask myself that question Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I belonged to a church here for five years that really emphasized reconciliation and community in such a great way. And I saw, I mentioned my best friend earlier, when we met a couple of years back, he uh, had been coming out of uh, addiction. And um, so he's in recovery now, he's been sober three years uh, last month um, or this month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, so what he had to walk through was the process of making amends and seeking forgiveness from those who he hurt. And after years of kind of destruction, that was a long list. And you wouldn't mind me saying that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Thanks, John. But um, I saw him really walk through seeking out forgiveness and being okay with the fact that, hey, this person might not know or this person might not receive the fact that I'm sorry that I hurt them. This person might say, screw you, I want nothing to do with you. But in seeking forgiveness, mm-hmm. it wasn't so much to release him from something or that the other person like, hey, if this person tells me they forgive me, I'll feel better. But just acknowledge the fact that I sinned against you, I wronged you, and I want mm-hmm. you to know that that was wrong. And I saw him do that with like past relationships, past coaches, his parents, his wow. friends, his siblings. And oh my gosh, it was beautiful. Like there were days when like mm-hmm. I would just be in tears and shambles and just like watching forgiveness and that immense process was really seeing grace personified. As grace is something we don't deserve. And seeing the freedom John kept just the, every time he made amends, regardless of what the person said, yes, I forgive you. No, I don't mm-hmm. forgive you. Every time mm-hmm. he took this next step in being faithful was just grace and just freedom. I literally saw him over a course of months, just like become lighter and lighter, just because all these things that he was holding on to either that were done to him or that he did. And the other cool part was even reaching out, hey, you did this to me and I want you to know that I forgive you. Just letting someone know that as well. I saw just grace on both sides and reconciliation. And it doesn't mean that this him and these people were reconciled or have right relationships again, but it means that, hey, I can walk into a room and see this person and there's nothing unsaid, there's no bad blood. And if I run into you at the store, I don't have to hide in shame because, oh man, I know we haven't addressed that. But like, there's freedom that comes from forgiveness and making amends because now you no longer have to worry or wonder. 
And I just thought that was just a really beautiful thing. So yeah. I just went off on a tangent there, but like, yeah, I just thought it was really neat and how forgiveness can free both sides, even if only one person is the one doing the reaching out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the hardest thing, you know, uh, being that person to reach out, you know, and saying, hey, I'm oh, going to yeah. take that initiative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for sure. I, oftentimes I, I myself deal with this, right? I kind of feel in that position where like, I'm like, they should, they should be the ones to reach out, right? Okay. They're the ones in positions yeah, of like power. They're the ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm just, yeah, you know, I, I struggle with that all the time for sure. Yeah. We have probably uh, 15 more minutes or so. Um, so I just want to touch on a couple more things. Something I think about often is how the big C church owes the LGBTQ community an apology for how historically they have treated them. I find it so powerful for a church or an organization to say, I am sorry, what was done to you in the name of Christ was wrong. Yet many churches are unwilling to have that conversation. Why do you think that is? Yeah, uh, yeah talk know, about why I think that is. For you. Mm-hmm. Just a light <laughs> topic. <laughs> exactly, right, yeah. <laughs> easy, easy. Yeah, I'll talk about why I think that is and then um, why I think it's powerful when a church actually acknowledges that they're wrong. But yeah, what I think that is, is just, I mean, churches really don't want to acknowledge that they have done wrong. I think to have a digital footprint, especially saying that we've done something wrong, I think can, it, uh, there's a lot of churches that are just scared, you know, scared mm-hmm. of the image, scared of what other churches might think of them scared of what other people might think of them and honestly probably just scared of what potential churchgoers you know um or their church members might think of them as well i think mm-hmm. a lot of churches are worried about numbers and membership and uh mm-hmm. really trying to you know have the best face po- best face possible um mm-hmm. so that more and more people will be attracted to it and you know, honestly, I've just been thinking about that a lot. And I'm like, you know, the churches have historically been the places where the most broken people come together, right? And find healing mm-hmm. and forgiveness and renewal. And um, so why are we so, so um, worried about what we look like to other people? I believe that if we if we are a community where people come together and they hurt each other and they seek out forgiveness and they find healing, then why is it so hard uh, for us to believe that God will bring people to that, you know? and God will mm-hmm. attract people to that. You know? So this place of brokenness where people can be their most authentic and real selves. Yeah, I just I, I just feel like, you know, like, you know, it's the answer is so easy there, right? And and yet it's so hard for all of us to really uh, conceptualize, especially. Um, so I think that's, that's a huge part of it. You know, we, we don't like to admit that we're wrong. We do like to put up the best face possible. And mm-hmm. in, in doing so, we, 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 we are scared to be fully known, you know, um, because we're mm-hmm. scared that we won't be fully loved. So I love um, that. Yeah. And yeah, but why I think it's so powerful, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I had a friend in San Mary who says, who said, um, you know, like I, I, I want to acknowledge the things that I've done wrong, but I don't think uh, I should repent for other people kind of thing. Right. Mm. Um, and, and I, I thought about that, that even like, in racism as like some people don't sure. want to take on history. Yes. Okay. Oh my gosh. That's rich. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. Idea. And I think that that's, uh, that's very true. Exactly what you bring up. Cause I think it's so, it's so natural for us to say like, oh, okay, like I'll acknowledge what I did wrong, but why should I apologize for other people? Right. Why should I uh, seek forgiveness for other people? And why I think it's so powerful when a church acknowledges its corporate kind of uh, wrongdoing mm-hmm. or misdeed or even just our corporate repentance displays that um, is because exactly what you said, right? There's 
a long history of institutionalized racism, homophobia, sexism, mm -hmm. uh, where people in positions of power still benefit from that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think we can say that, right? Like very safely say that we as Christians still benefit from the, a lot of the wrong things that we've done mm -hmm. to other people. Even our church cultures still benefit from focusing more on the nuclear family, um, you know, straight married yeah. people, right, with kids. Um, you know, our churches are almost built and designed around that nuclear family. And yes. even though we might not ourselves be saying, you know, very homophobic things or even sexist things, uh, we might still be a part of that system where straight married people benefit, whereas single, divorced, widowed, or LGBT people almost often feel very uh, excluded or marginalized, you know, uh, or feel like they don't have any space in church. So mm -hmm. um, that's why I believe, you know, like we, we all benefit from the wrongdoings of somebody else. So um, I don't think it's that wrong or that far off for us to acknowledge that and to yeah. even ask for forgiveness for that as well. So, yeah. yeah, I think, um, and I hope we can somehow link this article to this um, podcast and help ask Josh, but um, hmm. Last spring, I saw Todd Wagner, senior pastor of Watermark Community Church in Dallas, um, which is uh, where I was a member for five years. He wrote an article in the Dallas Morning News entitled Four Things the Church Gets Wrong About the LGBT Conversation. And y'all, I remember someone sent it to me and I was like, okay. So I read it and I was like, <laughs> thank you. And just the fact that, <laughs> I mean, it was really like, I didn't even think, because like, I've been treated fine by the church I was at and whatnot. So I didn't even think like just reading that, the impact it would have mm -hmm. on me. But like, it really moved me for someone to say, we were wrong in this. And the church has handled wow. this poorly. And let, oh, the article wow. is rich. I'll send it to y'all when we get off this. And like, I, I mean, I would share that article anywhere, anytime, because I was like, this is how we make progress. This is how we acknowledge that we have hurt people. As a body, as a corporation, as an institution, and this is how we take steps to doing better. And the first step is saying, I'm sorry, we were wrong. How can we love you better? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, I hope that uh, Josh doesn't cut out too much of your stuff, too. Uh, no. I hope that this can be a conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just going to be me on this podcast, right? <laughs> it's like a back and forth. Good. This is a yeah. good conversation. I love it. Yeah, that's right. What's Yeah. So I had one more a question for you before we dive into the Instagram questions we got. Um, what's been the most painful thing you've learned about forgiveness? What's been the most valuable one? Yeah, I think the one that I'm really, really trying to um, grapple with is this idea that um, sometimes bearing the cost of forgiveness is like simply, is, is almost all encompassed within that simple step of just like acknowledging it, right? And like and like acknowledging that forgiveness, right? Um, and what I what I mean here is that just like like what I said before, it's just not not internalizing it, just like dealing with it on my own and stuff like that. Sometimes the hardest part isn't even just saying I forgive, right? It's that simple step of like actually be being put in that place where I say I forgive because I'm the kind of person that likes to say like, yeah, if if I've been hurt then I, I, I want them to reach out to me. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to, like, I can forgive them. I, I'll be ready to forgive them if they reach out to me, you know, or if they mm -hmm. even uh, say hi to me or anything like that, right? I'll be willing to do that, right? But that first step of even just connecting with them and saying like, hey, like you wronged me and I, I want to forgive you mm -hmm. um, for it. I think that's the hardest, hardest part, you know, mm -hmm. because 
I do live in a bit of a sense of entitlement and I struggle with that all the time that um, if I was hurt, then I shouldn't be the one to reach out, you know, but mm. if we've talked this whole time about forgiveness being the act of bearing a cost, then sometimes mm. I have to bear the cost of my own pride and yeah. say, Hey, you know, I will lay that aside and I will step forward and I will contact this person um, and acknowledge them what, what has been done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's the Love hardest, that. hardest part that I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. I think forgiveness has taught me a lot about how Christ sees us and how versus how we maybe value ourselves. And Christ sees us as worthy, full of, um, or worthy of love, worthy of acceptance, worthy of forgiveness. And when I see other people through those, through that lens is, oh, that person's just as worthy of love as I am, just as worthy of forgiveness as I am, just as worthy of acceptance as mm. I am it really softens my heart in moments where I could walk in and be like, you know what? Screw you. You did me wrong. You did this. Because honestly, those are usually my first emotions. I'm not going to lie to y'all. But I'm just like, if I could have the posture that Christ had, um, which is Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but humility consider others better than yourself. If I could have that mindset, I wish I had it more often, but if I could just have that mindset when I approach a conversation that has conflict or hurt or bitterness, I've found I've realized that it often goes so much better mm. when I approach things that way. And a pastor friend of mine, JP, says, draw a circle around yourself. He's like, whatever situation you have with someone first, draw a circle around yourself and see what you can own in that. And that's been very hard mm. for me in certain aspects. I have a very, very broken relationship with my father. And I'm like, man, this person wronged me and the list is wrong along. But even in that, I still have a part to own in certain aspects, like, has my attitude the past 10 years been one of humility or kindness or has it just been filled with bitterness and rage? And if that's it, then okay, those are not the fruits of the spirit. And so I have to mm-hmm. own those things as well. And I'm like, well, I don't want to, because you know what, this person deserves to own his stuff more. And honestly, that's still where I'm at <laughs> with this man. I'm like, until you own your stuff, I'm not really taking an inch towards you. And so that's another topic later. But um, I... I think just even as we finish that conversation, um, sorry, I was saying I found that really most valuable, but I know the episode that um, before this one was Bridget and Grant talking about victimization mm-hmm. and the church and how to deal with that. And I think that segues in it with some of the questions we have here. My friend Melissa said, how do you forgive without becoming a doormat or getting taken advantage of? When you've been a victim, it's very easy when someone's victimized you. Um, and the church can want to rush you, oh, reconcile, be fine, whatever. But how do you forgive someone in a way that doesn't allow yourself to be a victim again? And even to you, Ray, the church that wronged you in that first instance, how do you forgive them and move on in a way that did not place you in the same vulnerable position again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, uh, everything that we've been talking about has uh, is definitely applicable here. I think when forgiveness becomes more than just a, a, a passing feeling or just a letting go of thoughts uh, when it becomes actually acknowledging the hurt and acknowledging the act of bearing that cost. Um, I think that's actually a source of empowerment. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, press us down like a doormat, but it actually uh, builds us up. It empowers us to say, Hey, I'm going to acknowledge this hurt. And you know, like I, I'm going to acknowledge that uh, I can bear the cost of this hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I, I can also acknowledge that this hurt is real and that um, and that people can recognize that it's real and that people will not hopefully do that to each other again. So I think it's very much um, a way of saying that, hey, like uh, this was not OK. Um, I will bear the cost of it, but it was not OK. And um, we want to end that cycle of hurt, you know. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think um, I would hope that, you know, forgiveness can be something communal as well, something that um, if, if I declare forgiveness and if I speak about it with my friends or my close mentors or people, my support system, right, that they will not allow me to get in a position where I would get hurt again as well. So that kind of community um, aspect really helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Um, my friend Kaylee, um, she has a LPC and she posed a question. She said this is a question she gets all the time from clients. And how do you know if you've truly forgiven someone? Mm. Because let's say you That's go through hard. an experience with mm -hmm. Because like if something, a sure. memory triggers your anger or your hurt, does that mean you haven't forgiven the person? Right. Yeah. Um, I think uh, that that's that's a hard one too, and it's a, it's a good question because I think especially in conversations today about things like uh, uh, trauma and uh, triggers, mm -hmm. I think it's so important to 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 really think about forgiveness in this context as well, and say like how does you know things like mental health um, really play a factor in it? And I would say that you know I I think for myself, uh, it's just one experience. Uh, um, I've been hurt probably the most by authority figures. So I think uh, it, my experience with this authority figure and just how they hurt me and stuff like that has has caused two things. Two things. One of them is that it's hard for me to think about them, right? Like it's it's hard mm -hmm. for me to 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 interact. And we're still in the same friend groups and stuff like that. And Ugh, you know, like even worst. even though, <laughs> yeah, even though there's like that, res I, I'm sure there's respect there, you know, on both yes. sides. It is still hard for me to interact yes. with them, right? And I think that's that's the hard personal part. But then there's an even deeper part. Uh, and there's the, there's a trauma, right? Um, mm -hmm. Every time I, I feel myself getting into this situation with another authority figure again, right? Where mm -hmm. I think I could be hurt or where mm -hmm. I think they're, your position, they're positioned against me. That's when I have that immediate reaction and I'm, uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm triggered and yeah, I get very defensive and stuff like that. Right. Um, and mm -hmm. it's sometimes it happens even before they've even done anything wrong against mm -hmm. me. Right. Um, you just sense it. Exactly. Right. So mm -hmm. I think there's two elements to it, right? Like I, I may not be able to personally, um, you know, have that pleasantry with this specific authority figure, mm -hmm. but I definitely, definitely have a lot of things to work out with, you know, mm -hmm. um, when it comes to the trauma, when it comes to how I now interact with authority figures. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think I'm in that process of hopefully, you know, when I can step into that forgiveness, into that healing, I can at least have healthy relationships with authority figures in the future. Um, that don't necessarily have to be, you know, triggering or um, a defense mechanism, you know? So mm -hmm. I don't know if that answers the question, but... <laughs> no, that does. Mm -hmm. I think because of the situations and, like, my friend, um, who's a good pastor friend of mine, who lives right by you, I told him yesterday, y'all need to get in touch, right? So I'm going to make it happen. Oh, yeah. But he was my young adult pastor here in Fort Worth uh, before he moved out to Brooklyn to church plant um, last year. But he told me something about myself uh, last year, maybe a year and a half ago. And he was like, Henry... I sense in you an unwillingness to let go. And I was like, how dare you read me to Philip at Chipotle? Mm -hmm. But um, <laughs> he was, oh yeah, he read, Garrett reads me to Philip all the time, but it's great because I need it. But um, I was like, what are you talking about? And so we just went into the situation 
And that had been wrong. Me and this person had both forgiven each other or made amends and apologized. But I still just kept getting triggered. And I was like, and for me, sometimes I realized like, yes, I've forgiven someone, but my flesh still feels like I'm owed more than just I'm sorry. And so mm-hmm. that's when I know I'm just like, don't want to let it go versus, oh, this is right. still an ongoing pain. And so I always have to differentiate like, is this my feelings that just want me taking me back to a place? Or is yeah. this an actual something that I still need to work through? And when I land at that, if it's my feelings, I'm like, okay, Henry, just let that pass. But if it's something I need to work through, I have to remind myself that forgiveness is not just a one-time destination, but it's a journey. It's a process. Mm, so Absolutely. Yeah. Another question. Uh, Josh got this question in last night that was super interesting. Let me pull it up. Um, how do I handle it when I want to pursue reconciliation with someone I have deeply wronged, but who really doesn't want to reconcile with me? Ray, you can take that one. I'm not touching that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, there was, there was an incident um, in the past where uh, I was uh, kind of sort of uh, getting, to, getting to know somebody and acting kind of like as a mentor figure to them. And I hurt mm-hmm. them. But, and, um, and they like removed me from Facebook and they didn't respond to any of my texts or anything like that. And I haven't heard from them since. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that crushed me, right? To, to hurt somebody in such a way that they really, that they wanted to cut me off. Uh, it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it, it, it's really, really crushing to me. And, uh, so the question is, yeah, what do you do about that? Um, so I was definitely very intent on trying to, um, reach out to them. You know, I texted them and I emailed them, you know, and, and within those texts and with those emails, I just unequivocally, well, maybe not unequivocally, but just, uh, without a doubt, I said, I've wronged you. That's, that's Mm -hmm. it. That, that's what I, that's what I let off with. There was no excuse for it. There's no, there's, yeah, there's no defending myself. I've wronged you and I need your forgiveness. And that much was evident in my texts and my emails to them. Mm-hmm. And I explained everything. And I even said, hey, I'm going to go through a period of repentance. I'm going to go through a period of repentance where I refrain from this or that, you know, because these behaviors and these practices led to me hurting you. Mm-hmm. And I, I declared them out and said, hey, this, you know, because of this, I've wronged you and I'm choosing to repent for it. And I'm re- choosing to refrain myself from certain things that um, are permissible for me uh, so that I can spend some time reflecting on how I have hurt you. And so that's actually what I did. Um, I went a few months uh, refraining from certain activities, right? That would cause me to wrong behaviors or even just certain uh, social interactions or social social behaviors, right? Mm-hmm. That could lead to, to wrong things as well. And then, you know, you know, after a few months, it's, it's, I still hadn't heard back from them. And after a year, I texted them once again and said, Hey, I want this to be, you know, uh, th- this was a year later, right? And um, I've had some time to reflect on it. I hope you've had some time to reflect and heal from it. But I just want to acknowledge again, I wronged you. I hurt you. I'm sorry. And I need your forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And then that was it, right? That was the last message. And I acknowledged that was the last message and said, hey, even if this is the last message to you, I will send it to you and I will leave it be, right? Um, that's it. Wow. I know you've read it. I've not, I know you got it, um, but that's it, right? Um, that that's that's where I can then say, you know, I went through this period of repentance, I acknowledged it, I declared it, 
And now I can walk away saying that, hey, maybe it's not in God's will for us to reconcile. Maybe it's mm-hmm. not in God's will for us to ever interact with each other again mm-hmm. on this side of heaven. But I know that the direction that we're going in our lives right now, I can trust that God has us mm-hmm. in, in his hands and God's God's in control, you know, and he can take me and make me into somebody who mm-hmm. will not hurt the future mm-hmm. people in my life too. So wow, that's been my experience with that. Yes. Yeah. I love to see it. Yeah. Yes. And that and one year mark just passed, you know, too. Oh, so awesome. I've been reflecting on that a lot too. Okay. So. Um, one or two more questions here. I'm just trying to wrap this up. My friend Mariana, she sent in something really good. How do you pray about forgiving someone? Mm. Pray about forgiving someone. Yeah, I I would say when I when I think about yeah, that, I'm so glad you brought prayer too because prayer good? is just so important. And we, I don't think we have we talked about it yet. Um, mm-hmm. But it's so true that prayer can be such a powerful force in forgiveness, and I think it starts with. Not a prayer saying like, oh, God, help me forgive this person, but mm-hmm. a prayer that receives, a prayer that says, God, speak to me your forgiveness. Mm-hmm. God, let me read your forgiveness in your Bible. You know, um, help me help me understand and experience the forgiveness that Jesus declared to mm-hmm. the people he interacted with and also to us as well. And yeah, they, they say that, you know, prayer shouldn't just be you talking to God, but God speaking to you too. And I think this mm-hmm. is truer than ever that. You know, before we can forgive somebody, we have to have to understand the forgiveness that God gives to us and offers to us freely. So I would start mm-hmm. with that for sure. Let's start with listening for sure. I love that and listening for God's voice to speak to you in that situation, um, which is what we should be doing <laughs> in our lives. And so, yeah. um, I think it'd be very easy to put God's voice in the back burner sometimes when we're dealing with our own thoughts mm-hmm. and anger and feelings and whatnot. Um, let's see. I think we got one more from Josh or someone sent me one. Um, as I forgive my church for wrongdoing me, how do I help find support to make me feel safe to stay? Oof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, are these people sending in these questions to Josh. This is great. Exactly right. <laughs> That's great because these are the people that are going to change their churches, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, these are the people point. that are in a position, yeah. To so yeah, no, no. I, I, I definitely, um, I, I, I trust that this probably comes from a person who is probably in a church where, um, that church has problems and issues to sort out with and ways to improve, and, um, that person wants to see those changes happen. So. I definitely believe that if it's in God's will, there is a great work that's going to be done in that church. And just as the question asked, I think it's exactly so important to have people around us, both in the church and outside of the church, um, who can div- give different perspectives on it and say, hey, is this, a her- is this a church that is healthy for you to remain in? Is this a church where you have a voice, where you have a platform? Or if you mm-hmm. don't, whether other people will use their platform and their voice for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you can see that change happen, you know, because if that's true, then I would definitely say, Hey, like there's a way in which, you know, you can stay in that church and you could actually make a lot of changes in it. But there does come to be a point where if you don't have that platform voice and nobody's willing to advocate for you, then it might not be healthy to stay. In that mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Those are good questions. Um, I think I covered all the questions we have. Are there any final thoughts you have on the topic? I don't think so. We touched upon a lot. Yeah. Well, someone did ask, how do you know if it's safe 
or when to go back to someone you've forgiven. Um, and I, um, I wrote down, recognize patterns, observe behavior. If you are in a relationship or dynamic with a friend, relationship, church, whoever, institution, um, and there's hurt or wrongdoing, and the person keeps apologizing, seeking your forgiveness, but not making any tangible changes, then I think that's when you start to observe their behavior rather than their words. Because if someone's saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? But they keep doing the same things, then I don't think that's a safe situation or even a wise decision to make to go back into that situation. Yeah, for sure. I think it speaks a lot about their heart too. Not even just the behavior of their heart and whether their heart is in a place that they want to change their ways. They want to be better. They want to stop hurting other people too. I think that's super important. Uh, it makes me think of that passage in James about the the, the, the tongue. <laughs> it's a fire, you know, who can tame it? And I think that's so true here. Um, when we tame our tongues, we don't just apologize with empty words. You know, we don't just keep hurting and uh, apologizing with empty words. That's not taming the tongue. When we tame the tongue, we say that, hey, when I say that I'm sorry and that I won't do it again, I actually mean it. And I think forgiveness is such a hard topic to approach and daunting. And sometimes it's really scary. But I wanted to end and just say that I have seen forgiveness, reconciliation be so beautiful. And I've mm. seen it when two people set aside pride or a situation and really approach mm. it in humility. I've seen marriages that dealt with infidelity be reconciled. I have mm. seen broken families uh, work through really difficult stuff. I've seen forgiveness extended where it wasn't deserved. And it has just, yeah, there's so much beauty and grace forgiveness. And I think it points right back to the gospel, um, which is full reconciliation with God through Christ and his work on our behalf. And so if you are struggling with forgiveness or anything like that, I would just ask that you pray and just think through it. And something that helps me is journaling and mm -hmm. maybe just journal your thoughts out and then lean in a community or a trusted friend and just kind of start talking through that. So that's what I wanted to end on. Ray, what about you? Yeah, I, I definitely, I've definitely seen a lot of those cases as well. And just uh, how you put it, it was so beautifully. I think, um, forgiveness is just so countercultural as well mm -hmm. um it's it's really countercultural against our um our desire and our thirst for um for revenge or mm -hmm. for making other people feel the pain that we feel i think that's a very common sentiment nowadays to make other people feel the pain that we feel mm -hmm. um, and i definitely just feel like yeah without god like I would probably feel the same way too, right? Without God, that sense of justice has not been satisfied mm -hmm. um, and will never be satisfied possibly. But in Jesus, he's taken on everything that we've ever done um, or ever will do. And he's taken that hurt upon himself. So, so that that is the justice that satisfies our hurt against God. And consequently, it allows us to be satisfied even when other people hurt us as well. So, um, yeah, I know. I just, it's just a beautiful thing to me. And I'm just constantly in awe of um, the forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus and what God really did on that cross. Amen. Um, thank y'all so much for tuning in. And thank you to our guest, Ray Love, for just giving us his insight and wisdom on the topic. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was really a pleasure to speak with you guys today. <laughs>